On this episode of the BYO Nano Podcast, let's get an update on aluminum and the options small brewers have amid shortages and uncertainty. And then I'm talking with Chris Cates of Little Animals Brewing in Johnson City, Tennessee, about his brewery, running a homebrew shop, and working with wine grapes. This is John Hall, and welcome to episode 22. Earlier this month, I got on a plane and I headed to Nashville, Tennessee for Funk Fest, an annual gathering hosted by Yazoo Brewing and Embrace the Funk. It was good to see some familiar faces in the socially distanced crowd at this outside event, but it was also a chance to meet some new people as well. Chris Cates is one of them. He's the co-founder of Little Animals Brewing in Johnson City, and as we sampled through his beers and I learned his story, I realized that he'd be great for this show. And so he's coming up shortly. And amid the happiness and the camaraderie at the fest, there's also some worry, worry about supply chains and ingredient shortages and labor issues and increased competition. And one topic that kept coming up was about cans. And so it made sense to reach out to John Henfer at Wisconsin Aluminum Foundry Company for an update on the industry. He's coming up in a minute as well. But first, I'm happy to tell you that this episode is sponsored by Arrived. Arrived Point of Sale is your mobile, flexible solution to save your staff time and provide the best guest experience on-premise and online. Built by craft beer professionals for craft beer professionals, Arrived is the only POS with no contracts and no monthly fees and everything your business needs to thrive. Go to arrived.com nano and set up a free customized demo. Arrive.com slash nano. That's A R R Y V E D.com slash nano because there is no I in arrived. And we're also sponsored by Blickman Pro Brewing. With superior engineering and unrivaled service, Blickman Pro Brewing Equipment is the smart choice for your bottom line. With their turnkey three and a half barrel gas fired or electric brew house systems starting at only $16,999, you won't find a better match of price, performance, and quality. Hit the ground running with equipment you can count on and support you can trust so you can focus on what matters, ROI. Visit BlickmanPro.com to learn more. And finally, save the date. The fourth annual NanoCon online takes place on December 3rd and 4th of this year, with two days of more than 30 seminars and workshops for the Nano Craft Brewing segment. Be sure to mark NanoCon online on your calendar or sign up at nanocon.beer before November 5th and save $50. All of the sessions will be recorded, so even if you can't join us live, you can still watch all the videos and learn after the conference is over. Again, learn more at nanocon.beer, and I'll see you there. Crowler and Crowler machines were a blessing for many breweries during the early days of the pandemic, and they've continued to be the workhouses of many breweries. So for some perspective on how that segment of the industry has grown, as well as where it might be headed, supply chain issues and all, I called up John Henfer. He's the sales and product manager in the consumer products division at the Wisconsin Aluminum Foundry. The company was established in 1909 and has been involved in numerous products in the food and beverage space. They fulfilled government contracts and they've worked in other industries as well. But the craft beer space has been particularly good to the company. They were approached early on to help Oscar Blues develop the Crowler machine and have been pushing to go beer forward ever since. There's some innovation in the space with new machines that can handle 32 ounce to eight ounce cans and everything in between. And Henfer says they're 
might be a pinch now, but offers up what small breweries can do to expand their bottom line by offering these to-go options. He spoke to me via Zoom from Wisconsin. There's been a lot of talk recently about aluminum cans. There's been some wary uh, in and around the beer space that maybe um, there's going to be some shortages or that smaller breweries might not have access to uh, the quantities that they desire or even the quantities that that, that they need. Uh, I'm curious from your standpoint of what the current state of the aluminum industry is, specifically how it relates to the beer industry. Well, um, when we first started with the crawler machine, we had no problem getting 32 ounce or 25.4 ounce crawlers. Didn't have any problem getting the 12 and 16 ounce at all. Uh, since the pandemic hit, uh, we can only get 32 ounce and we can only get 16 ounce. We have not been given a definite answer on when we will receive our 12 ounce. We can't even place an order form. They won't let us. Um, the 12 ounce cans are mainly allotted to the big names, you know, yeah. the, the Miller breweries uh, and, and the big craft breweries. So we're kind of hurting that way because our machine is designed to do the 12 and 16. Um, we are also going into the eight ounce and I can't even buy those right now unless I buy them through a distributor. You know, we want to buy the truckload so we can give our end user the cheapest cost possible on a can. Yeah. So with the access then for the 32s, um, the, the 32 ounces, but not some, some of the others, um, do you see that easing up at any point soon or? I don't see a problem with obtaining them. Um, I mean, we just ordered a truckload. Uh, we got it in about three months ago and we box everything up. And that's what's unique about us as well. Um, most places are only going to sell you a half pallet or a pallet. And that consists of layers of cans strapped to a pallet. Um, so when you cut those bands, make sure you don't cut them out in a windy area because you're going to have cans <laughs> grow it. Yeah. So, yeah, we, we currently we have um, 32 ounce cans boxed up to 126 cans in a box. Uh, which works out really well for brew pubs and breweries that don't have a lot of storage space because they can take these boxes and just stack them. Uh, it, it's been a great, a godsend for a lot of our customers to have them boxed up. Definitely. Yeah. And that's, I, I, I guess, you know, everybody's sort of thinking about the end product, but the way that it gets to the breweries matter as well, because you, you want to minimize loss overall. Definitely. Definitely. And, you know, um, yeah. shipping cans also is like shipping air. You know, uh, when, when you, you will ship a box of cans UPS, you're probably going to get a few that are damaged because our friends at these small package carriers aren't very gentle with their packages. Um, we do put um, slip sheets in between every layer. They're food safe slip sheets. So there's no need to sanitize the cans unless that's the only way you feel comfortable filling your beer. Right. Um, so you've been at the forefront or, or, or from the beginning of, of the crowler machines, which have you know really uh, helped a lot of breweries during the pandemic. 
um, the idea of draft beer to go uh, in a single use container, uh, I think has been revolutionary in, in, in the beer industry. You know, there's always a lot of complaints about glass growlers uh, previously and cleanliness issues and everything. But um, can you chart just a little bit about what it's what the crowler? I don't know. I don't even know the right word. I was going to say revolution, but that that's not a right. That's not the right word. But 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 sort of the trajectory of the crowler um, as you've seen it from the beginning to where it is now. Well, in, in the beginning, um, you know, we just had our 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 plain what we call our eight thousand can sealer. That's the model number, and you know, as time goes on, we realize what we need to do with the sealer to make it better um, because of course, beer can be very sticky, full of sugar. Um, we've had issues with the base plate. So we made a new base plate, sealed it with a barrier. Uh, the rollers themselves, uh, in the beginning, people didn't clean them. So when beer got in those rollers and you let it sit overnight, the rollers would freeze on the, the hinge pin that they're riding on. Okay. So then we had to put instructions out there. You know, if you're going to get uh, beer slopped on, on the machine, I would suggest cleaning them every evening after you're done using them, mm -hmm. reinstalling and re-oiling. Okay. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a work in progress for us. And like I mentioned to you earlier, uh, we are putting a bearing in our roller now uh, because the pandemic really showed us how tough our machine was and where the wear points were. We're continually trying to make the machine better and better as we go here. Uh, it, it's, it's been a good, good ride, but like in the beginning, um, I had a, a customer in New Jersey that sealed 43,000 cans in one year and did not refurbish the machine. He was mechanical, so he kept the machine going. He bought three more machines, and now he switches them out. Okay. And we refurbished the machine for him, and, and he thanked me. He goes, thank God for your crawler machine. He goes, I'm going to be a millionaire in 10 years. So <laughs> um, he's selling them. 12 to 16 dollars for a 32 ounce and you multiply that by 40,000 cans a year that's quite a bit of money yeah but i mean when has the pandemic in your mind changed what the crowler was originally supposed to be like yeah. it, in my mind yeah. it, it seems like it was more casual but now it seems like it is a necessary lifeline for a lot but also now just sort of a, a normal course of business Yes. Um, before, like you said, it was for like the growler, you know, um, coming in and filling your growler up. Well, crawlers were the same way. They'd come in and get one or two and um, leave and come back the next week. But the pandemic has really turned these into production machines. Yeah. Um, and that's, I guess that was a godsend for us as well, because then we knew exactly where the wear and tear was going on our machines. And we've addressed all these areas and we continue to address it. Um, when we make a change to a machine, uh, we've fully tested it before we put it on the market. You know, I, I have these yeah. bearing rollers done. 
Um, but I have to put it through a test with a couple brew pubs and I want them to run their normal production through, which is five to 600 cans a week. And I want to see how these things wear. And so far, so good. Okay. We're improving on that roller even more now. So the, the pandemic has really actually made us make a better machine. Um, and one that can live for, for, for longer periods of time. Well, yeah. Uh, I mean, that, like yeah. I said, these machines have been in existence since 1929. And if you own a machine that was made in 1940, all of our parts we have here in stock will fit that machine. We've never changed the design. It's all pre-World War II tooling. So, which is incredible in its own way. Um, yeah. So obviously the 32 ounces, uh, you know, that that's the standard for for crowlers, I think it's what a lot of people expect. Um, you know, packaging, uh, normal packaging, we're, we're seeing you know twelve and sixteen ounces. Uh, there's nineteen point two that's out there as well, and then eight ounce cans um, have 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 sort of come into to to you know prominence in the last little bit, uh, especially in the beer space with some of the the, the boozier stuff. Um, for those smaller cans, are, are those harder to 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 get these days as well? Right now, I cannot buy a truckload. I can only go through distribution, uh, you know, third party type thing. Uh, it, it's uh, the state of the aluminum can is not real good. I was at the craft beer conference last month mm -hmm. and um, I talked to several people at Ball. Of course, I'm complaining about the 12 ounce situation. Yeah. And they brought up the eight ounce and, and they just don't have the capacity to produce for everybody. They are building two or three more new plants. They don't have any finalized dates of when they're gonna open up distribution of all sizes again to everybody, but it is coming and it's gonna be next year. So it's sadly to say, if, if you want a 12 ounce can, I don't have them. Yeah. All I have is 25, four, 16 and 32. And I buy my eight ounce through distribution a third party, and I can't even buy 12 ounces through third party right now. Have you seen interesting innovation in packaging styles? Um, not necessarily even just ounce size, but just, uh, you know, we all think about cans and the traditional can shape, but um, is there is there other innovation that you've seen or things that uh, you've seen worked um, even outside of beer, but that could apply to the to the overall beer industry? Yeah, um, the coffee industry, the okay. fruit juice industry. Um, what, what's that healthy drink called? Um, kombucha? Yeah, kombucha. Uh -huh. um, that's all picking up. Um, I'm selling machines for all different types of liquid industries, definitely. And of course, like I said, we, we originally purposed these machines for, for the food industry. And we continue to sell these to the maple syrup industry, preppers for dried food storage. I mean, and the list goes on and on. Yeah. Um, and then shape-wise, are there are there other shapes that are that are sort of emerging these days? Well, like I mentioned about the buzz ball, I mean, that's a plastic flange container with an aluminum lid. And our machine, as long as it's round and it's got a metal lid and flange, we can seal it. We even do. Uh, composite cans. I did five machines 
for a customer in Michigan, he makes shoestring potatoes with the cardboard can. Interesting. And our machine is capable of sealing those types of cylinders as well. Okay. But I guess I'm 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 more thinking like for the beer space if there's other, you know, I haven't seen alternatives. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't seen um different types of shapes of cans. I guess when you look at the 202 for the 12 ounce, they call it a 202 to 11. The end opening is 202, but the meat of the can is 211 round. Okay. Um, I am seeing tall boy 12 ounce where it's straight, you know, the diameter is the same from top to bottom. Okay. Um, and I will make a custom machine to fit your beverage can. I have no problem with that. I have a full tool and die shop. I have a full engineering and CAD uh, department because we are an industrial foundry. You know, we, we don't only make can sealers and pressure cookers. We make the Hellcat high-rise manifold for Chrysler as well. And MRI um, entry machine for the MRI machines, the entry cylinders, you know, they're eight foot in diameter. So we're a huge industrial foundry. foundry. We employ about 500 people. Okay. You know, you've been in and around the beer space for, uh, for, for quite some time now and working on the crowler machines and, uh, and, and, and getting out with, uh, with, 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 you know, brewers for the smallest size breweries that are out there right now. Um, or even some of the home brewers, um, uh, who might be thinking about going pro, uh, one day when it comes to machines, uh, when it comes to cans, when it comes to packaging, um, what's a piece of advice that you'd normally share with them? Well, the seal, the seal is probably, well, is the most important thing. So if you don't have a good seal, you're going to have to drink it right away or your beer is going to waste. Um, our machine, whether it's a hand operated machine or an electric, they both operate off the same platform. We have a cam gear on the inside that will seal your cam the same every time. Of course, you have to check your specifications with seam gauges like you would, would with any other machine. Um, but I can say with our automatic electric machine, if you are running a brew pub and you want some, somebody comes in and wants a crawler or a 16 ounce can to go, you can fill that can, put the cover on it, clamp it up, hit the button, walk away, serve other customers, come back and get that can out because it's going to run that can through and the machine stops. Any of our competitors cannot say that. Okay. Well, so, I mean, yeah. as far as efficiency, yes. Um, we are American made machine. All of our castings, I would say 95% of our machines are, are aluminum castings, which we make right here in Manitowoc, Wisconsin. So we have very good inventory control. That the only thing we don't have control of is, of course, purchase parts from outside suppliers. Yeah. I just had an issue getting bearings for my crawler machines. I ordered them in May. I've been pushed out six times and I just received 230 of 700 bearings. And they said the rest will not be here till December. Oh, goodness. Yes. It's, it's it, the supply chain, or I should say, what supply chain? <laughs> it's tough these days. I know yes, a lot of people is. are waiting yes. for a lot of a lot of different things as well. Yes. Um, I appreciate you you sharing the story and 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 the perspective of of what's happening in 
your area of the of the overall industry. So thanks yeah. for taking the time. Yeah, I, I no problem. And I think as far as craft beer goes, I don't think we've even touched the mid-road on this. I think it's just going to keep going up and up and up. And everybody has their favorite flavor and everybody has their favorite brewery. And it's just going to keep getting bigger. And I'll be here every step of the way. We'll have more in a moment, but first, thanks to this episode's sponsors. Arrived Point of Sale is your mobile, flexible solution to save your staff time and provide the best guest experience on-premise and online. Built by craft beer professionals for craft beer professionals, go to arrived.com slash nano to set up a free customized demo. And with superior engineering and unrivaled service, Blickman Pro Brewing Equipment is the smart choice for your bottom line. Hit the ground running with equipment you can count on and support you can trust so you can focus on what matters most, ROI. Visit BlickmanPro.com to learn more. And the fourth annual NanoCon Online takes place December 3 and 4 of 2021 with two days of more than 30 seminars and workshops for the Nano Craft Brewing segment. Be sure to mark NanoCon Online on your calendar or sign up at NanoCon dot beer before November 5th and save $50. There's a relationship between home brewers and professional brewers that has existed since the beginning of the craft movement in America. For Chris Cates, the road was both similar and paved a little differently. In this conversation, recorded over the phone, thanks to some internet issues earlier in our day, he charts out his love of Cezanne, which led to a homebrew shop and eventually opening up Little Animals Brewing in Johnson City, Tennessee, about two years ago. From barrels to creating hybrids and finding a balance between customer expectation and his own creative desires, Cates doesn't hold back on what keeps him moving forward. He spoke to me from the brewery. The usual path, I think, for a lot of brewers that go pro with a home brewing background is just to sort of have it as a hobby that becomes a, you know, an obsession and something that they want to do for for, for real life. Um, but for you, you you took sort of a different route before you opened up the brewery, and I wonder if you can sort of chart that out for us. Right. So um, we uh, opened a homebrew shop uh, as opposed to opening a brewery. Uh, I like, and I like to say that's, uh, that's like my brew school. That was like a crash course in running a business and also kind of a foot in the door into, you know, brewery supply chain and stuff. And, and also just, you know, running a business. I, cause I'd never ran a business on my own before. Um, so <clears throat> we, uh, started as home brewers, obviously, and, you know, as you, as you do, you get more and more into that. Um, and, um, picking up, I guess, from where we left off with the, when the internet dropped, um, you still there? Oh yeah. No, I'm here. Okay, cool. Just checking. We're, we're stable now. Yeah. Um, so, um, started homebrewing in 2011, 12-ish. And uh, started brewing mainly because I was really falling in love with Saison and other Belgian-style beers and beers like DuPont or Ball. Um, 
Duchess de Bourgogne oh, yeah. and Rodenbach. Uh, and we couldn't buy those around here. Um, had to drive to Asheville, which is like an hour away from me, to get all the beers I wanted. And I was like, this is stupid. I, wanted, I just want to have these. So I mainly just wanted to look solid Saison at home to drink. So I started brewing Saisons with little intention to make other beers. Uh, though, I, as you get more and more into home brewing, you know how it goes. You start you know, doing a little bit of everything. But initial intent was I just always like, I can buy an IPA, but I can't get a Saison in my town. Um, so um, was brewing and having fun with it. And 2014, I went on a trip to California, uh, my wife and I, and declared, as any home brewer does, that I'm opening a brewery at that, <laughs> that moment. I was like, I, I got to do it. And then my wife, being, you know, realistic, was like, well, hold on now. Like, your beers aren't always that good. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, you've never ran a business before. Like, you don't know anything about running a brewery. And I was like, oh, you're right. So uh, we went home from that trip. I had just that idea in my head and like, like a week or two later, uh, my friend Jordan, who, who is the assistant brewer here now, um, had heard from somebody else that our homebrew shop was going to be for sale. The, the, the guy that ran it want, needed out for some reason, found out later he was, he's got another job. Okay. <laughs> the, the homebrew shop was his side gig the whole time. And he, um, he, he was getting like a promotion and was having to move. So the, the shop had to go. And, uh, I, I came in and talked to him about it and, and he was like very supportive in selling us the brew shop. Uh, the, the brew shop was like his baby. Like he was very passionate about that business. And, um, he sold it to us for like the cost of his inventory and, wow. um, gave me every like shelving and like, coolers all he just gave us everything so it was like a big uh, it was like a fun turnkey kind of kind of operation yeah yeah well it was supposed to be okay <laughs> it wasn't so we were to have his um lease for the remainder of the, the the term which was like a year and a half i think okay and um the very first day i owned the brew shop um the landlord said hey i uh i need you all out of here like you don't have a contract with me you have uh so i need this property and the properties to the left and right of it for someone who needs all three so we need you guys to be out and i think he gave us two weeks oh goodness um, and that's day one yeah and uh we were told by by him that he would honor the lease. He just decided not to. And that was within his legal right. It was a dick move for sure, but it was within his right because he had no contract with us and he had somebody who wanted all three of his spaces. So, um, so we, um, um, went on this like panicked look for other commercial properties and found, uh, found another one. Um, this, by the way, this was the, the shop was in Kingsport uh, like 30 minutes away, uh, another town, which was really inconvenient for me because I live in Johnson city. So the idea was to move it to Johnson city when the lease was up. 
we just had to expedite that and do it right then. <laughs> sure. So found Which probably would have just been easier to do that from the beginning. Yeah. So we found a spot uh, that day in Johnson City. It was a, a place downtown that historically had been one of the first movie theaters in Tennessee, but it bared no resemblance to a movie theater. It just back in like the, I don't remember the day, night, early 1900s sometime, it was a um, movie theater uh, showed like black and white films. Okay. Um, and that's, and that comes in later. Uh, we changed the name of the shop to, so, um, we moved into that spot and we're open within like three days. Like it was, it was insane. (laughs) Um, and, and so we were, the name of the brew shop was Ozark mountains brewing supplies. And the reason it was called that was because the guy that owned it was from like Missouri and I think maybe he had opened it originally or something in Missouri. So like the name made sense for him. Didn't really make sense for us. That was beside the point. My advice to anyone is to never buy a business. Just open one. If you want to open one because you inherit all the bad stuff, like any, any bad feedback or anything the person has incurred, it's now yours because people don't draw distinguish between owners if the business name is the same. Yeah. So like this dude's the nicest guy ever. He still had baggage. Okay. We had all these people upset. You know, you sold me this thing and it was broken or, you, you know, like all this stuff started coming back at us. And we were like, oh, my God, <laughs> like this sucks, um, namely gift cards. So he had like like a, over a thousand dollars in outstanding gift cards um, that people were trying to redeem from us that we couldn't honor because, oh, because they were like not we weren't paid for him you know mm-hmm. and so these people were like pitching like fits at me and i was like that's it we're changing the name and i had to come up with a new name on the spot and so we called it edisonian brew shop because the theater was called edisonia theater okay uh that building was in so that's that we we operated uh that brew shop downtown uh for uh, five years um and uh, during that time, I got, well, I, I, I formed relationships with, you know, suppliers and stuff for one. Um, and I got to brew like a, a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was the big advantage. And, and not only like I got my own experiences and my own trial errors, but I also had all my customers experiences too. So like, I would help someone brew a beer. I'd brew a recipe or put together a recipe for them. They'd brew it, bring it in, try it. And through my beer, brewing my own beers, and then all my customers bringing me their beers they brewed, you know, under my advice, got a really good idea for what works, what doesn't, um, you know, what the difference in Breeze Caramel 20 and, uh, you know, English caramel 15 tastes like, and sure. you know, like, um, just a, a whole like years worth of experience there, um, that I, I couldn't have amassed on my own. And, and that's probably the bit, biggest advantage of having run that brew shop. Um, so go ahead. 
No, well, I was I was just going to say, you know, there, there's a lot of focus on local and there's a lot of focus on, um, you know, supporting small businesses, uh, you know, these days. And it, it, it's in, in some cases it works and in some cases it, it doesn't always. But um, from your perspective, what's it like running a small independent homebrew shop in, you know, let's just go back to, you know, 2019, 2020, uh, pre-pandemic? Um, well, back in when we opened in 2014, it was great. Um, business was homebrew was booming in 2014, um, and then it and then it dropped, and, and that actually led me to wanting to close the brew shop. Like I, my original intent was to do like a combo brewery homebrew shop, and and then towards like 2019, uh, I didn't want to do that anymore. So we started uh, – the brewery is not where the brew shop used to be. It's like like a block away on the same street. So like when we started building um, – renovating the building the brewery's in, in um, 2000, we started that project in 2017, and it was – so three years. Uh, and then we moved the brew shop into this building and renovated it at the same time for the brewery, which was hot super hard and I, we had this big plastic curtain up that like separated the building uh it was kind of a nightmare yeah it um, seems like it but um that was out of necessity because my lease ran out on the on the homebrew shop but the brewery wasn't done yet so like i had to like uh had to do something because i, I couldn't extend my lease there um or find another spot so we just hung this big curtain and renovated the brewery part and then ran the brew shop in the front um in 2019, the, the brewery was set to open um, early 2020. So uh, I just, I kind of just uh, ran out of steam on the brew shop. I didn't want to do it anymore. Yeah. Because sales were really, really bad. Um, and it almost just seemed hardly worth it at this point because, like, the, the whole thing was like, I was going to have to like hire somebody to, brew, to, to run the brew shop because I was going to do the brewery. You know, I was going to, basically be hundred percent in charge of brewing operations. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was like, and then also bartend sometimes too. And I was like, I can't bartend and brew and do this brew shop stuff because sometimes people needed a lot of help, you know, spend over an hour with people sometimes. Um, so, um, made the hard decision to close it, which I think kind of upset some people in the community. But at the time it almost felt like the brew shop was going to go out of business anyway. And then, is that is that coming from competition from you know larger places that you can you know point and click and it's on your doorstep in a day kind of thing, or is it of, just yeah. okay? Uh, competition with online stores was part was part of it for sure, but there was there was just a decline in interest as well uh, in 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 nineteen. We it came back. By the way, oh, so like in twenty, yeah, I imagine during the pandemic, it, uh, yeah, yeah. So we we closed the wrong time. It, we could have done well, probably, but um, at the time, it was like, and and then even suppliers I would talk to would be like, yeah, it's abysmal right now. Uh, so yeah, and I mean, perfect example, you know, Country Mall slash Brewcraft. They closed Brewcraft. Mm-hmm. Like Country Mall stopped dealing homebrew supplies. Um, yeah. 
but then the pandemic happened and and uh you know homebrewing kind of took off again because people didn't have anything to do um but that's okay i'm i'm glad i'm glad i I appreciate my time i kind of cherish the time i put in at the brew shop and uh it's there's kind of no way i could do both at this point anyway with my time well, so you finally got the brewery that you always wanted, and then you were able to start, you know, making the beers that actually appealed to you. And and in my conversations with you last week in in Tennessee, um, that was that was something that I was really struck by is, you know, a lot of small breweries, and you're on a three and a half barrel system, right? Yeah. So I mean, a lot of small uh, small breweries will be all right. Well, what can we turn quick? Um, you know, what can we, you know, do to, um, keep customers walking in the door and, and you're certainly doing that, but you're also, um, it's, it seems like you have a real commitment to making the type of beers that really speak to you and your creativity and, and, and your passion. Um, and so for, for those listening right now, what are you making? What's in bottles right now that you're really excited for people to try uh so we i like to say that we focus on uh saison sour slash pretendomyces farmhouse style beers but we also do clean beers so instead of being like a clean brewery with a sour beer project or like sour brewery with a clean beer project uh but uh we we do all of our brett and sour beers in bottle condition 500 mil bottles and then we do, you know, clean beers on draft. And sometimes we do little canning runs of them. But uh, in bottles uh, right now that I'm, that I'm excited about, probably the, the first, we, we did this beer, which you might have had at Funk Fest, called uh, Your Juice, Sire. Um, yeah. And this, brewer, or, um, this beer is a good talking point for something I want to convey, is that um, we... For a brewery our size in a town like ours, we definitely need to meet our customers in the middle. Um, not everyone's into sour beer. Not everyone's into Brett beer. Um, so some people just come in our brewery not knowing that we're a brewery that's like specializing in a thing. They're just coming in a brewery. That they yeah, know. they just see brewery and they walk in and they think they're going to get you know IPA yeah. or lager or stout or whatever. Yeah. So I'm definitely like, you know we've got to make money. So like, I'm definitely into like, uh, meeting our customers in the middle, but also I, I, the way I see it is I give them a little bit of what they want, which is hazy IPA. Mm-hmm. And, and then I, and then I give them a little bit of what, um, what I want. And then maybe if they liked my hazy IPA well enough, they'll trust me now. I've earned, I've earned their trust with giving me a, a good beer. They like, I'm saying, I'll try this. And, you know, that's how I kind of get people into our, my side of things. But then sometimes the brew beers that are sort of uh, in the middle there, and this beer, your juice sire, is a silly name, but it's it's an IPA blended with barrel-aged sour. Uh, okay. So we took, um, we took a, um, a grist of, uh, what, Pilsner malt and oats, uh, you know, hazy IPA grist, um, and we fermented it with um, sack and a couple of different breads, and um, 
then we blended that with some of our barrel aged stock uh, that's brewed with aged hops. And um, I think it was like maybe six or seven months old at the time of blending. Uh, blended that uh, 80% IPA, 20% barrel aged sour, and then dry hopped it as if it were a hazy IPA, you know, double dry hop, uh, Galaxy and Mosaic. So it, it actually, it drinks juicy. Like that was the point of like the blending was to, you know, juice is acidic. So we, we brewed a big, you know, hop saturated IPA, gave it some Brett funk and then blended it to juicy through the blending. Mm-hmm. And, and, and people are loving this beer. Um, and, and I think, I think it's probably like for us kind of key to getting some like a gateway kind of like getting people into Brett beers who aren't because uh, we, we don't even say it has Brett in it on the board. We just call it wild IPA. Okay. So people are, people are getting that beer. You know, we didn't call it a sour IPA because it's not sour really. It's tart, but it's not like a sour beer. Yeah. Uh, people are oftentimes turned off by Brett, the word Brett. They either don't know what it means or they've had a really phenolic-y, rubbery Brett beer before, and they think they don't like it. Um, so it's called a wild IPA. Even people get it who are just looking for an IPA um, sometimes, and they love it. Yeah. And so that was the goal. Uh, and and so that some people are realizing that they like Brett or they like mixed culture beer because of this beer. And uh, it's just pretty cool. I'm super, super happy with it. When you are doing three and a half barrels at a time, um, you know, which is not a, a, a ton of beer, although, you know, you're in a, a pretty uh, well-trafficked uh, area, so uh, you have people coming through all the time, so I imagine inventory is not, not, not too tough to keep up with. But um, h- how else are you trying to, like, strike the balance between consumer expectations but also your own your own passions because i mean the bigger you are you know the more you can actually do um you know fun projects or um uh and and still you know make a make make a few bucks or you know you can go completely small and maybe not have a tap room or have a tap room with limited hours uh and just turn out the stuff that you know appeals to you and the the customers are gonna uh seek you out because of it so with your location um and your size how else are you trying to strike that balance? Well, um, we, we have a tap room. We have regular tap room hours. And um, on our uh, mixed culture beers, we do bottle releases of those, and we have them on tap as well. Uh, and then on our clean beers, we just, you know, because of our scale, we can, we can get things in and out the door real quick. So we, uh, like, you know, we'll, we'll do a hazy IPA, and we'll yield after you know losses and stuff. We will yield uh, about three barrels of a beer like that, uh, and we'll can a barrel of it, and that leaves us two barrels on draft. And we'll sell you know maybe maybe takes us two weeks to go through a half barrel keg. So that that hazy IPA is gone reasonably fast. So like we've got our on brand beers, I call them, that people are coming for because they. They're in, you know, they're in the know. They know that we specialize in a thing. And then we've got other beers that are just, you know, we don't do flagships really. So we just have a new hazy IPA all the time, yeah. a new fruited Goza all the time. Uh, and we're really just whatever else I feel like. I mean, I'll just, I'll literally just, I have the beers that I want to brew that are like part of our, you know, our thing. 
and then and then I'll just kind of sit around and be like, you know, what's next? I'll people want an imperial stout, I'll brew an imperial stout. I, I just do whatever I feel like people want, and I kind of keep the taps constantly rotating and exciting that way. When so when we were in Tennessee. Um, uh, we spent a lot of time talking about uh, the barrels that you're using, the wood that you're using, um, and you're you're really into, uh, or it seems to me that you're really into um, using wine grapes to to bring out uh, some really fun flavors in the beer and working on some uh, some sort of hybrids. Um, you know, if it's unio beer or if it's you know whatever the the, the term that folks are using these days, um, you know, to describe the the combination of the two. Uh, of the two beverages, um, it seems like you're you're walking down that road right now. Yeah, that's something that I did some some homebrew batches of when I was homebrewing, and I made some some of the I think the best beers that I've made. Um, and we've only done it once commercially, and that beer uh, you you had it, I believe, it's called Vinomancer. Yeah. Um, and uh, so that was our first commercial foray into into a uh, beer wine hybrid and with that one what i wanted to do was like some of the ones i did home brewing were full-on wine hybrids you know where it was like maybe 20 30 percent must to beer um so it's like drinks like a wine more you know um with this one i wanted to do more of like uh focus more on like light nuanced flavors and and tannins uh kind of kind of do like a natural wine kind of inspired beer okay so uh the the best grapes i have uh locally uh good access to are uh Schomberson and uh uh some some actually old homebrew customers had a had a vineyard that um was their first harvest of the Schomberson grapes and so um I felt bad because they, they, they nearly sold me the whole crop, uh, which was because it wasn't much. I mean, it was, you know, small and uh, they wanted to make some wine with it. I think they maybe got like 10 or 15 gallons worth of wine and then I bought the rest, um, which wasn't even that much. And uh, did a uh, carbonic maceration um, in stainless under CO2. And then I racked uh, about six month old um barrel aged sour which by the way we um our our barrel aged sour other than our we have basically two two beers a red sour that we release once a year Mm -hmm. but the second release is coming up in like a couple weeks actually okay that's our flanders inspired one and then we've got our um i just call on the brew sheets it's called acid component and that beer (laughs) becomes other beers okay so it's our barrel aged sour stock the only thing I change is hopping rate um, to create blending options. So I'll hop it more or less. I'll get more sour barrels, less sour barrels. And that can create blending options across the barrels that we have. Uh, or I can blend that with non-sour beer or Saison or Brett Saison. Um, it, that beer is just about having blending options. So I had two... Uh, really good tasting barrels of our acid component that were the acid. The acidity was right where I wanted it, where it was, they were like kind of higher hopped. So like it was, uh, tart, but not acid, you know, 
and I thought that would do great on the grapes. <clears throat> so we selected those two barrels and racked them onto the uh, now few week carbonic macerated Chalmerson uh, yeah. grapes. And then we gave it two months on the whole clusters. Um, and then we racked it back off to age longer because it was just super, super tannic. Uh, I loved it, but I was like, ah, people might not be into this. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was coming up on in bitter kind of. Um, and that's, that's sort of interesting, that though. Yeah. Of, of, sorry to interrupt, but like that's one of those things that I'm always really curious about where – there's some brewers who will say, you know, well, I really like this. So, you know, you can like it or not, but you know, this is important to me. Um, but you thinking about how it's going to be received by the customers who are ultimately, uh, putting their dollars down on the bar to buy this. Um, yeah. I mean that, that probably makes the beer better in the long run. It, you know, we just needed, um, time, you know, tannins kind of, develop and fade and uh with with uh you know aging and um it, it had the kind of bitterness that like a kind of a vegetal bitterness that uh well it makes sense because i mean it was on all those stems you know it was just picking up all that those, those vegetal tannins so um we let that age for uh, several months just in kegs i just uh kegged it all off and then I re-blended all the kegs when I when I felt it was you know good. I tasted them every now and then, um, and it was interesting. Even even among all the kegs, some some it was almost like a, a re-blend of a blend because the some kegs were more tannic than others because uh, I I blended it into or it was six kegs, so you know one keg was real tannic one keg was more sour one keg was less sour it was interesting how it developed separately like that so then we re-blended those kegs into a tank and that became the release um and uh also really happy with that one you know it's it's got enough tannin content to feel like a natural wine would mm -hmm. uh and you know you get like a certain balance from that but you also get like you know dried stone fruit and and you know apricotiness and leatheriness and it's got a little a little bit a little bit of breath funk in there and uh that like that like dusty pez candy thing you know what i'm talking about i do you get some yeah. like chalkiness it's got that which has always been elusive to me i love it but i'm not sure where it comes from um but yeah um that's in that one's it's, it's interesting i have to explain this whole concept to people that like no wine they get this beer because they're like Schomberson. So why isn't the beer red? Okay. Like, well, it's a low fruiting rate and it's, it's like kind of rusty colored, but it, it wasn't enough grapes to be like a, like a red, red beer wine hybrid. Okay. But, uh, for, for what it is, um, I'm, I'm extremely happy with that beer. And, uh, you know, I, I think that in terms of, uh, trying to do like a natural wine inspired beer it's it's pretty awesome we ever if i ever had more money i would do it again like a concrete tank okay that'd be awesome yeah well and sort of so so that sort of leads me into it to another question though of what you found or what you look for when you're looking for barrels um i see on the website you know and and, and talking with you um you know you've used words like you know expressive uh to describe um 
some of the wood that you have. And yeah, sorry, go ahead. Like when I'm selecting beer to, to, to blend. Yeah. Um, well, for one, whether, so all of our wine barrels, uh, are heavily used. So we bought them used for beer already. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we've got a couple of uh, punchins that were freshly dumped when we got them that we've used a few times now. But uh, these these wine barrels are great for our scale, the smaller ones, not the punchins, for for the acid beer because we we divide each batch up into two and therefore get twice the blending option because each barrel develops a little differently, even if it's the same beer. Um, so one, I'm looking for if it got any like oak vanillins or anything, if, if I can taste any barrel character at all, uh, or how the beer expressed, you know, if it's more acidic or less acidic, if I get any Brett character at all, um, sometimes a barrel that has tight, like really good tight staves, you get no leakage in the top at all Mm -hmm. and you, and you bung it earlier than later you get a little pressure build up in the barrel and that can do nice things for the Brett character. So, um, if the barrel got any of that, uh, if I, if I get that, like elusive chalkiness or Pez candy thing, uh, or wine like notes. And then some of the other, uh, acid barrels are just kind of one note sour beer. It's, it's, it's odd. Um, and, and those can be, great blenders uh sometimes a very nice expressive barrel you get a little oak you get brett funk you get like that good tropical mixed culture character that can be a good standalone beer if you're just looking to do like a sour or fruited sour or Mm -hmm. that's kind of how or if the acid is low if the acid is lower a lot of times that i feel will enhance lower acid will enhance some of those other nuances Whereas higher acid um, can kind of kind of like overwhelm it, you know. Um, so a good mild acidity, high high character barrel would be something I would select for like a beer like Bonamancer, um, or or a, a fruited sour. Or sometimes if I have that beer like spare, like I create a blend and then I have like ten or fifteen gallons left over, I'll just put it on tap uh, straight. But uh, can I curse on this show? Uh, sure. Uh, we we put it on tap. We call it no fruit, no Fs. Okay. Uh, as a joke, like people. For, for really the record, you didn't just curse, but that's fine. Fruited. But yeah. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so. Uh, and are, uh, and you're using this as an opportunity then to sort of talk to people, right? And to, to share these processes and to sort of share the flavors and the nuance as well. Yeah. Yeah. So like we, we, uh, put a beer on like no fruit, no F's that that's one. It's a joke because everyone's like, you can't, re- you can't release sour beer. that's not fruited, which is true, but it's only 15 gallons in our case. When we do those, it's like spare beer we put on. And, uh, and then that always strikes up a conversation and I get to educate as well. Um, but, uh, going back some of the other barrels are just you know high acid a little more one note and that can be great for uh, a saison decoupage which is another thing we lean into Mm -hmm. which helps on our scale a lot so like 
30 to 50% sour beer into not sour beer tastes like sour beer. Yeah. Just tart, not, not as sour. And, and also it, it, it increases your size. So like, you know, we're only making three and a half barrels of beer a batch, but we have seven barrel tanks. So we have plenty of room for blending or double batching if we want. Um, so like I'll do a Saison I'll ferment it with sack and bread and then I'll blend into it uh, a whole barrel of sour beer, which ends up being a perfect uh, like two thirds to one third ratio. And that drinks like a nice tart beer. Yeah. And, and also we get five and a half barrels out of it. So the, the, the sour barrels are more about being an ingredient to us than they are being a, a beer itself. Yeah. So sometimes they are a beer itself if I just think it tastes particularly good. I get it. So as you've been sort of experimenting with uh, you know, beers like that or with your IPA, um, where where do you think your creativity is going to lead you next? Where do you want it to lead you next? Um, right now, I'm I'm really into what I just talked about, uh, coupage blends. So this, this, uh, the, the, your juice sire is effectively an IPA decoupage, right? It's clean beer blended with sour beer. Um, well, clean is in not sour, sack and bread, but now I'm like, what other coupage blends could be cool? Because I, I love, my stomach can't handle high acid anymore. Like I used to love sour beer. I personally cannot drink a lot of sour beer these days. I, I typically drink lagers and saisons and I like a good bitter West coast IPA. Um, but I love these coupage blends cause they get me the complexity and the, you know, the interaction of microbes that we love mixed culture for, you know, acidity is a byproduct, not a flavor. Right. Yeah. So like, or not a goal per se. What can't, you know, so <laughs> I don't know. I know some uh, brewers, but yeah. Um, I, I think of a city as a byproduct, so it's there, but it, but they're the nuance of flavors of the mixed cultures, which are after and in a, in a coupage blend. I feel you get those while being more palatable to me. And I've talked to a lot of other people who are a little burnout on sours too. Um, so like, I don't know. What about, what about like a lager coupage blend? You know, like if, if it worked in an IPA, surely it'd work in like a pills. Um, well, those are the kinds of things I think about. Well, like Italian pills style lager blended with barrel aged sour, dry hopped with noble hops. Yeah, that I drink that. Cool to me. Yeah, I drink it. I would totally drink that. Um, well, if you do it, keep me posted. Um, and I will point out to people that I know Asheville is, uh, Asheville, North Carolina is one of those, those big beer destinations, but, um, you know, just about what, an hour away on East main street in Johnson city, uh, Johnson city, Tennessee is where right. your brewery little animals is. And that's where people should go and find you and drink some of these beers and talk shop with you. Um, Chris, thanks for, thanks for cool. taking the time and being on the show this week. This month, yeah, man. Thank say. you so yeah. much for having me. It was awesome meeting you and talking to you uh, last week. And uh, yeah, just it was awesome. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. Okay, before we go, I'd like to hear from you. What styles are you passionate about putting forth into the public?
let me know. You can email me at nano at BYO.com. And I'll invite you to head over to BYO.com slash nano podcast and subscribe to the newsletter, the magazine, and to catch up with great pro brewing content. New episodes of this show are released on the 15th of every month. So subscribe now and never miss a show when it's released. And you can also do us a favor by leaving feedback on your podcast platform of choice or by emailing nano at BYO.com or checking in with us on all of the BYO social media channels. And I'm also happy to tell you that this episode is sponsored by Arrived. Arrived Point of Sale is your mobile flexible solution to save your staff time and provide the best guest experience on premise and online. Built by craft beer professionals for craft beer professionals, Arrived is the only POS with no contracts and no monthly fees and everything your business needs to thrive. Go to Arrived.com slash nano to set up a free customized demo. That's Arrived.com slash nano, A-R-R-Y-V-E-D.com slash nano, because there is no I in Arrived. And we're also sponsored by Blickman Pro Brewing. With superior engineering and unrivaled service, Blickman Pro Brewing Equipment is the smart choice for your bottom line. With their turnkey three and a half barrel gas fired or electric brew house systems starting at only $16,999, you won't find a better match of price, performance, and quality. Hit the ground running with equipment you can count on and support you can trust so you can focus on what matters, ROI. Visit BlickmanPro.com to learn more. And don't forget to save the date for the fourth annual NanoCon online, which is going to take place on December 3rd and 4th of this year, with two days of more than 30 seminars and workshops for the Nano Craft Brewing segment. Be sure to mark NanoCon online on your calendar or sign up at nanocon.beer before November 5th and save $50. All of the sessions will be recorded, so even if you can't join us live, you can still watch all of the videos and learn after the conference is over. Learn more at nanocon.beer and I will see you there. And I'm John Hall. You can still find me weekly behind the microphone on the Drink Beer, Think Beer podcast, as well as Steal This Beer. You can find those where podcasts are found, and I hope you'll tune in. Our theme music, it was created by Scott McCampbell, and we thank him for that. And once again, be sure to check out byo.com slash nanopodcast for all of your nano brewing needs. And for now, we wish you all the best for a small but successful brew day. 